Okay, my friends, we have quite the story today. If you would like to stand with me for the reading of God's word, we are reading Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Relamah, king of Israel, marched up to fight Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. But the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shear Jassim, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Relamum. Aram, Ephraim, and Relamum's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Telbil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered, will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Relamon's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. It's good to see you all. You look marvelous. I love this season because as the month rolls on, there's more and more red and green that starts popping up. There's already a lot of red that's uh, appearing out here. Not that you don't look marvelous normally, but uh, it looks even better at Christmas time. Hey, before we get into the message, just a quick update. Uh, as you know, a couple of months ago, we took up uh, an offering, and may, many of you gave a sizable gift to help rescue some people from Afghanistan. And, uh, and I'm here to tell you that the people that we are rescuing are, are all rescued. Um, <laughs> sadly, a couple of men uh, were not able to be rescued. Uh, the Taliban got to them before uh, we were able to get them out. And it's just a, a reminder, there is still a church in Afghanistan. Um, and uh, so in your prayers, pray. There's always been a church in restricted countries, persecuted countries. Uh, you know, that, that we think that oftentimes the number one goal of life is safety. <laughs> Whatever you do, stay safe, you know. And uh, that's actually not the highest goal. <laughs> you know, the highest goal is uh, to proclaim the goodness and the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. And uh, so 
Some Christians have chosen specifically to remain. Uh, their names are not on the Taliban list, and so they're risking their lives to proclaim the gospel and further the gospel in a restricted country. Sometimes we feel like our country is restricted in terms of what we can do culturally and what's acceptable and so forth. Uh, but the gospel has always flourished uh, in restricted contexts. So um, be of good cheer and thank you so much for uh, uh, hearing the rally cry and uh, doing what you do. I also want to just notice uh, Paul and Grace, <laughs> Moses, so glad to have you with us. I know we've already greeted you, but I uh, wanted to say it. Um, they know what it's like, if, in case you're not aware of it, uh, India is in the top 10 nations of restricted uh, persecution because of, of the identity of uh, reaffirming that India is a Hindu nation, and so wanting to restrict all religious minorities, uh, including Christians, and so uh, continue to pray uh, for the great work that the Moses are doing and also uh, for all of our believing friends over in India. Well, today we have an amazing passage of Scripture. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. And the whole point of Isaiah 7 is to bring hope to your life into my life. And there's never been a bigger time where we need hope. Uh, we don't need just temporary answers. We don't need just uh, circumstances to somehow resolve themselves. We need something bigger than that. And, and we're talking about something really huge that's in a tiny, tiny package. It's in the package of a baby. And that's the story of Christmas. I remember as a young father bringing... John and Tim home, uh, how much hope uh, there was in me that uh, maybe their lives would be better than my life. Maybe they would be used of God more than, than myself. And, and now that I look back and they're in their early 40s, I can say, well, actually, you know, uh, they are better people than me. <laughs> they're, they're better looking, they're smarter. They're better surfers, for sure. They're better musicians. Uh, they're better dads. Uh, they're, they're better in so many ways. And uh, my prayer has always been that my kids and grandkids would love Jesus uh, double what I do. And so in a baby, there's that hope. When we, we bring a child home, there's that hope. But a lot of us nowadays, we bypass the crash, the manger scene, forgetting what it's all about. Forgetting that this is a hope that still applies to us today in this dark hour that we live in. Think of it. You're looking at economic uh, debt in the trillions. You're looking at what China and Russia might do. You're looking at what new variant would, would come upon us and what new thing the government would do and what our schools are doing. And, and we are running around like chickens uh, with our heads cut off, saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. 
we are, our hair is on fire. That's what happened to me. <laughs> and my point here is that is not uniquely Christian. It is not uniquely Christian. And it doesn't discount any of these temporary circumstances. But what is uniquely Christian is to look beyond that and reach in to that manger and grab a hold of the hope that Emmanuel brings us and bring it into my present circumstance. So, before I give you the whole message, let's look at the passage uh, together. We're going to learn three things here today. Uh, the first thing we're going to learn is the command to not fear. We need to hear that command. The second thing we're going to learn is the difference of true faith with fake faith. And then finally, focus on the Christmas sign. So first of all, the command to not fear. Let's look back at verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Yotham, son of Uzziah, was king of Judah. So this is the grandson of the great revivalist, King Uzziah. And Ahaz uh, hasn't developed the same relationship with God that Uzziah did. You ever thought of that fact that uh, God has no grandchildren, only children? And each generation has to reaffirm their love and faith in Jesus Christ. So Ahaz is in the balance. Which way is he going to go? And King Rezin of Aram, some of you who surf, you'll, you'll already be wondering if King Rezin is related <laughs> to the Ding King. <laughs> and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, they marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. If you look at the map, um, you're going to see here where all of this is. So down in the lower left, you'll see Judah in kind of the yellow-brown. Above it is Israel, the other ten tribes of Israel. And they join forces with Aram. Aram is equal to modern-day Syria with its capital, Damascus. And so those two formed an alliance to come against Judah. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and the king and his people were shaken as trees of the forest and shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Sha'ir Yashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to in the, to the washerman's field and say to him, here it is, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of the two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezim and Aram, and of the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin. It's a bad day. It really is not a, a hypothetical. It's not like he might die. It's not like they might 
kill a lot of people. It's a real, real problem, just like our problems are real, real, real today. But looking past the graphic real problems to an ultimate hope can only make things better, not worse. How many times people say to me, Mark, you got your head in the clouds. My dad was a civil engineer. I just heard his voice when I said that. Mark, you got your head in the clouds. Mark, you're gonna, you, you should have seen his eyes when I told him after I'd been a surveyor working for him. Uh, and then I told him, I'm not going to go on and become a civil engineer and inherit your company. I'm going to be a pastor. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> you know, a, a fake smile. <laughs> Mark, get your head out of the clouds. Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart, divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabil king over it. So they're invading. And the date of this is 735 B.C., which is amazing to think about the prophecy that we're just about to read. 735 years before Christ, before his birth. So the words, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Now, I don't know what part of that we don't seem to understand. Now, I have had some people way back at the beginning of COVID uh, come up to me and come up to other people and say, don't be fearful. Don't be fearful. Don't be fearful. And after a few minutes, I began to realize they were the most fearful So I don't think we're to read that kind of intensity and that kind of uh, fear coming from Isaiah. He's calmly stating the truth. Be careful. We need to be careful and guard our hearts. We need to, as the British always said in World War II, keep calm and don't be afraid. So their hearts, it says, were shaken. They were shaken like trees. When I was living on the East Coast, I remember our first hurricane. Never lived through a hurricane. You know, uh, people on the East Coast are terrified of earthquakes. And, you know, earthquakes are just like nothing to us. Um, They're just a little bit of rumbling. So we're watching Hurricane Gloria come up the east coast to New England. I'm watching the news, and what's going to happen? What's this going to be like? And usually by the time it got to New England, it was, it was just barely a hurricane. And, you know, 70 miles an hour, that's... But we have gusts of 50, 60 miles an hour with the Santa Ana wind. And so, yeah, there were some trees that were toppled, and there were some branches that came down, but we survived. But as we were watching it come up the coast... What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And that's often what grabs a hold of us. Have you ever thought of what happens with fear? Fear is probably one of the most basic emotions of the human species. You know, I don't know how far we go back in in human history, but fear actually protected us from 
wild animals. It protected us from disaster. And today, if you're on the railroad track and you hear a train, fear is a good thing. Fear can be a good emotion to get you motivated to get off the track. But fear has the power, because we're humans made in God's image, just as God could imagine what he was going to create and said, let there be, we as humans can picture in our minds something before it happens, for good or for bad. We can picture an amazing painting, and then we begin to paint it. Isn't that incredible that a human being can do that? But we can also paint in our minds disaster before it ever happens. And that's what fear does to us. It's, it's me painting the picture of the future and what it's going to look like. And then that future beginning to control my situation. I remember hearing... Uh, a Dutchman, when I was first a Christian, saying, when I start thinking, I start sinking. <laughs> and he was really referring to our imagination. When I start imagining what could go wrong, uh, it begins to grip me. C.S. Lewis, in his uh, Screwtape Letters, which was really his first big popular book and he was so surprised that a book about the devil uh, written by an Oxford Don would be received in such a popular way but Satan says there that um, his desire is to tempt us to live in the future because the future inflames fear and it makes us think about unrealities in a word the future is all is, of all things, the least like eternity. So, what are we putting out into our future? Is it what the child, Emmanuel, is going to do eternally for us? Are we putting out our fears to control us? Because they will be debilitating. So, in God's view here, what Ahaz is fearing is a bunch of hot air. Look at what he says in verse 4. Uh, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs. You think it's going to be a complete forest fire. They're just smoldering uh, stubs because of their fierce anger. And then he reduces who they are. You think it's Aram, this huge, powerful nation. But Aram is just all really located in Damascus, that's where the power is. We're just talking about one city. And we're only talking about one king inside that capital. God reduces what we're fearing, and we tend to expand and blow it out. I was thinking about what it was like living in the 70s. Some of you, you, know, you weren't born yet. But if you think about all that we went through in the 70s, uh, it was incredible. Uh, you know, our, our battle with Iran, and they, they had our hostages. The gas prices were out the wazoo. 
uh, people were in line for a quarter of a mile to get gas. Do you remember? Um, we had a president uh, resign in shame. Uh, we had people surrounding the White House uh, demanding his resignation. We had lost the war in Vietnam that some of my friends died in. And how does that feel, you know, to die for a war that we didn't end up winning or completing? And it just, we had assassinations, a president and his brother. It just went on and I just thought, this is the end of the world. And it didn't happen. Now, the end of the world will happen one day. Jesus is coming again. But that said, we're doing it again, Christians. We're doing it again, and we're running around saying, this is going to end, this is going to end, this, that, you know, and we're... And it's not what God has called us to do. We are gospel proclaimers of the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So here's how it works, my friends. What I do in my life is uh, there's a word called implosion. Do you know that word? So implosion is actually, it's a therapeutic term where you help the client imagine the worst. You know, you have a fearful client and they come in and just kind of let them spill their emotions and finally, okay, instead of trying to get them to stop, you say, okay, let's lean into that. Let's imagine the worst. So let's get it over with. And now that you've imagined the worst, how you doing, little buddy? So the worst for me would be, I, I suppose, uh, we die. I suppose uh, my house burns down, my car blows up. Uh, I don't get to see my kids or grandkids anymore. Okay, and I don't get to see you anymore. That's probably the worst. And, and maybe my country's on fire too. Okay. Now where are we? Wow, I'm in the presence of Jesus. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You and I have checkmate on life. So now that you've imagined the worst, let me tell you, the worst is not going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen the way you've imagined. It's not the, and he's not called us to be prophets of telling everybody the doom and gloom over and over and over and over again. He's called us to bring hope to the world. So then we have to gain God's perspective. Are you with me? God's perspective in Matthew chapter 6 is this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Eating and drinking. What, notice the kind of things they're worrying about. Where, what am I going to eat? That's usually me. Where am I going to eat? How good is it going to be? Is not your life more important than this? But yet your father feeds you, feeds the birds, 
and he's going to take care of you. And he asked the question, who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? What have you accomplished through worrying? Nothing. So what I've done with the news, by the way, if you watch the news, God bless you. Um, no matter what blue or red news you watch, they have not learned how to give the news without drama. And part of it is to hook you to watch it the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. Say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Every day the world's on fire, so I got to watch again. So the three major net networks come on with news. Bum, 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 This just in, you know, the world's on fire again. Okay? So you can read the news, if you're not aware of it, without the drama. And you can chick pick your headlines. There's still drama in the headlines, just to keep... But the point is, be careful. Guard your heart from getting caught up with that and keep God's perspective. I remember uh, interviewing Dave Eubanks. Some of you have seen the film that we did on Iraq. And there we are on the front lines. We are looking at the flag of ISIS one half mile away. And I'm interviewing him and asking Dave, why do you do what you do? You're a Christian right on the front lines rescuing lives. And he says to me, where in the Bible does Jesus say, stay safe, Christians? Remember, just stay safe. Whatever you do, stay safe. It's just not a, it's not a message in the Bible. The message in the Bible is to go into all the world and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ even on the front lines. So we have to make that decision. Now, we need to move on quickly. Um, we come to the issue of true faith. He says, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says in verse 7. It will not take place. It will not happen. What you've imagined is not going to happen. And he reduces it all to th these two kings. And... Then he ends by saying, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So faith is grabbing a hold of who God is and believing his perspective on life. What I like to do is grab a hold of the cross, put my faith that God loved me, he sent his son, I'm pointing this way because that's in the past tense. I already know this happened. My left hand is past tense. I, it hasn't changed. I put my faith right there. And then I want to put my faith in what he's promised and the hope that is mine and anchor myself there. Sailors here understand that if you're going to anchor your boat... You can't just drop the anchor over the boat. So if you sail over to Catalina and you're in, in a 30-foot uh, harbor, you can't just drop your anchor straight down. Because why? The wind will blow on the boat 
and the anchor will just bob along the bottom of the boat, and you're going to wake up in a different cove <laughs> in the morning. So what you have to do, it's an eight-to-one ratio. You have to throw your anchor off a distance from the boat or just drop it and then back off a distance eight to one. So if it's 30 feet deep, I need to have an anchor that's 240 feet out there to grip the shore. And then I won't move. And it's a beautiful picture of hope because what we're doing now as Christians, we're bobbing along with all the circumstances that are going on. We, we, we just say, I'm just dropping my anchor here, and whoa, I moved along, I moved along. And <laughs> Satan can send disaster every three months on this world, and we just keep bobbing along. But if we put our hope beyond, then it doesn't mean we're discounting economic issues. We're not discounting health issues. We're not discounting political or, or environmental or educational issues, but what makes me uniquely Christian is my hope is beyond all of that. Viktor Frankl, a Jewish POW in World War II, discovered, though he was a disciple of Freud, he discovered that the people that survived were people of hope that imagine what am I going to do after I get out of prison and that's what we need to be looking at so let's come finally to this Emmanuel the clear sign that you and I need to be focused on again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord for a sign, whether in the deepest steps of the highest heights. You know, if God asks you that, do it. Go for it. But Ahaz, in false humility, he says, I won't ask for a sign. I won't put the Lord to the test. And so Isaiah says, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of God? God just told you to do it, and you're refusing to do it. But God is going to give you a sign anyway. A virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. A virgin who has not known a man is going to be pregnant and will have a child and this child is going to be God with us and this is the first indication that we discover in the New Testament that Jesus was not just an earthly Messiah he was the second person of the Trinity divine the Son of God and that is your sign and my sign so against all the bravado today, all the people that are running around saying it's hopeless, there's, what are we going to do? Um, I love my country, and I dare say maybe more than you. I don't know. And I will forever vote 
But my hope will never be in the White House. I know, doesn't that sound disrespectful? It sounds unpatriotic. Like, what? What are you... My hope will never be in the Oval Office. I'll always respect, I'll always care about who's in it, and I'll always have opinions. <laughs> we Americans are good at that. But my hope is way beyond the White House, the Kremlin, anything else. My hope is in Emmanuel. So we've been trying to teach our uh, three-year-old grandson about Christmas and he's already ahead of me from where I was at, at 18 let alone three years old I thought that Jesus floated down the Nile uh, so he's already ahead of me so we have two creches set up one rather large with uh, porcelain uh, figures and I noticed my grandson, the last two times he came over, he goes into the crash, grabs a hold of baby Jesus, and carries around him around with him. So he's playing trucks, and he can make amazing truck and motorcycle sounds. He's, he's a car guy. Or he may be playing with a ball. He may be playing with any number of things but he's carrying around baby Jesus. <laughs> and as I watched him the other day, I thought, you're speaking to me, aren't you, Jesus? You're speaking to me, because I don't tend to do that. I start the day, Jesus, I need you today. Um, and then I end the day, oh, Lord, what just happened? <laughs> but I need to carry this sign of God's love for me, this sign of hope that a virgin will conceive and bear a son as Mary did and Joseph believed and it happened and he is God with you. He is with you. He is with you. He is with you. God with you forever. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of Christmas. Holy Spirit, breathe on us hope. Make us as believers the bearers of hope for this hopeless world. And we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for the incredible message of Christmas. God, do this work in our lives, we pray. Let's sing together. God, we pray.
So may God be with you this week. When you're watching the news, when you're shopping, when you're stuck on the five, when you're with friends, in-laws and outlaws, may God be with you. And may the message of the sign of the baby Emmanuel, this baby who grew up, died on a cross for your sins and my sins, rose again from the dead, and is one day coming again to put this world right once and for all. May that baby, that sign of Emmanuel, be with you this week and forevermore. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. If you need prayer, come and get it. We have people up here that would want to pray for you. God bless you.